Hello, folks, and welcome to the Jio Nation podcast, a travelogue-style podcast about the life that has been made for me as I travel around the world on my recumbent trike. Now, um, some of you have listened to the first podcast that I made, which was really just a test to see how this whole whole podcast thing works. I uploaded the first one uh, called This is a Test, uh, just to see how iTunes would react and how I could configure my blog uh, with podcasting. It actually was quite easy, and it got me excited about the potential of doing these podcasts in the future. It also uh, was an introduction to some of the people that have already followed the journey so far and had them kind of asking some questions about what is a podcast and what is the purpose and also how will it conflict with my documentary videos as I'm on the road. So let me clarify. Podcasts are typically audio-based, although they can be video. I'm going to be doing this uh, as an audio form because I already do my documentaries and there's no need to duplicate uh, or overrun any process. So this is so that I can do audio stuff on the road, uh, fill in some of the gaps that uh, I might not be able to describe in the videos, and give some more of the hardcore people that are interested in travel uh, a view into uh, some of the more... um, detailed uh, aspects of travel. Um, These podcasts could be anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour or more. It depends on what I'm talking about. And uh, that's the great thing about podcasts because you can kind of go at length or you can go short, whatever it takes to explain the issue or topic or interview that you're engaged in. Now, this podcast I believe if you were the, to pick out a demographic is for people that are interested in delving into the life of somebody that's traveling around the world. Uh, what are they thinking? What are they preparing for? Um, how they feel? Uh, who they're meeting? Uh, it's a opportunity for you guys, whoever's listening, to say, wow, I can kind of understand what it takes or what uh, kind of interesting aspects there are to traveling around the world. So you can be young or old or uh, sedentary or even a fellow traveler that might want to appreciate another point of view because everybody that travels uh, has a different story to tell. That's one of the uh, amazing things that I found as I had been traveling is that Everybody has a story, and every story is equally engaging and amazing. Um, sometimes I, I not pity, but wish that everybody had a chance to uh, broaden their horizons and get out from the bubble that they live in, and travel really, really helps that. You get to introduce yourself to people from all over the world, the likes of which might be religions of all types or lacking of religion, people with different career paths or people that just live, you know, moment to moment and don't really worry about career. So um, I believe there was such a value in in travel and meeting people on the road that I wanted to share it. So that's kind of what got me in the video and what got me into uh, this journey ahead. Now, this will be the first actual podcast of the Jio Nation. 
Um, so I'm going to backtrack a little bit and repeat a few things that I did in the test episode. Hi, my name's Matt. I'm from Detroit. I live in China currently in a city called Ningbo, south of Shanghai, by about two hours on the fastest train in the world. Uh, or at least that's what the Chinese say. It might not be the fastest one, but it's definitely in the top five. I moved to Ningbo for business. I am uh, particularly interested in entrepreneurship, and I design products uh, here in China that end up being sold in the States. Um, I originally did that in the States, but I found that it was too difficult because manufacturing and costs are so high uh, that the only way that I could uh, continue a business model like myself and be kind of an inventor and think creatively and do stuff competitively was to move my business to China. That's a long story that I might get into down the road. Let's just come back and say that I've been in China for six years. Uh, I uh, found a love of travel and I have created a journey that will take me from uh, my home here in Ningbo, China, to my home in the United States. Uh, in particular, the end day, uh, the end location of the Jio World Tour should take me to Los Angeles. I say should because uh, there's no telling on where the path might div- diverge. Uh, obviously, uh, what was the movie I just saw? They said, well, this is guidelines. It's not necessarily rules. And uh, geez, I'll remember that movie later. But uh, I, the map on my Jio World Tour page is more of a guideline. It's not necessarily a set in stone path. Um, so the tour around the world starts from here in Ningbo, China, and winds its way. It's definitely not a straight route, and it's not about speed. I'm not traveling as a race. Um, Too many people uh, travel around the world and try to make their way from one point to another so fast that they don't really feel the in-between, and I wanted to feel the in-between, which is why I chose the recumbent trike. Let me tell you a little bit about the trike. I, uh, I'm riding a three-wheeled recumbent trike. Uh, it is a very odd-looking thing. Uh, Ryan, my, uh, my best friend and soon-to-be, hopefully, travel companion, uh, calls them tadpole trikes because if you look at a tadpole, the large portion is in the front and the small portion is in the tail, and that's how the tadpole trike design is set up. The two wheels are in the front. Uh, you pedal all the way out in the front with your feet way in the front, and then there's a rear wheel that sits right behind your back that has the gearing and, and the actual propelling of, the, of the, uh, the gearing is behind your back. It's a very strange thing. As a matter of fact, when Ryan first proposed the trike to me, I thought it was, it was, it was a little bit too odd. But he uh, liked the idea that when you ride this thing, you're in a really comfortable position. You're basically in, an, in a nice chair, uh, a mesh seat. And when you sit in this recumbent position, there's no uh, pressure on the lower back. There's no problem with the with your shoulders or your neck, uh, and your legs are in a fairly very relaxed position, position, sticking out in front of your body. And you basically just sit there and uh, turn your legs around, pedal. Uh, if you want to get a look at it, you can go to my website www.jayo.com. That's J-A-Y-O-E. Dot com, and uh, you can see it for yourself. Uh, I 
carry a lot of stuff with me, and I'm prepared to carry weight uh, around 500 pounds. And I've heard a lot of people say uh, some negatives about that. Uh, and I will try to narrow it down. I'll also try to lose some weight myself. That 500 pounds includes my body weight. You might be wondering why uh, am I carrying so much? Most world tour cyclists, uh, that's bicycle, trike, whatever you decide, um, carry extremely light loads. They constitute a pair of uh, shorts, some sets of clothing, maybe an extra pair of shoes, a bike repair kit, and miscellaneous little items. For me, I am, first of all, traveling without the intention of returning. So whatever I carry, I want to be able to live off for the next five years. In doing so, you add in this element. You, you're, you're telling yourself that whatever you enjoy in life, you better bring it with you. Whatever you can live without, you let go. And it kind of narrows down your life. It's like uh, doing a move. When you move from one city to another, apartments or houses or whatever, and you're finally boxing up all your stuff, you get a chance to say, you know what, is that thing really useful? Is, is this item really something that you need? And you can whittle it down. Well, you would say to yourself, well, Matt, seeing as though you just said that, oh, you're obviously carrying a lot of weight. Well, what is that weight? Well, for me, I love video. I love tech. And uh, tech are my toys. And tech is typically not so light. It's a lot lighter than it used to be. But uh, if you want to do what I want to do, then you've got to carry some extra items. For me, the excess weight is coming from uh, lightweight tripods, a drone, Phantom 3 drone, that I've built into the trike setup. Um, it also includes a musical instrument called an Arhu that's a little bit heavy, but I feel that this is something that I would like to enhance on the tour as I ride around the world, as I play this Chinese item and be, uh, Chinese uh, uh, violin, basically, and become more fluent in this uh, as I ride around. Uh, the, uh, I imagine myself playing the Arhu in parks and, and villages and locations that would be very interesting and uh, quiet and relaxing to, to use this item. And, and to really, it, it would also help to connect with people on the road. And that's the other thing that I want to do is I want to integrate with people. And the only way that you're going to integrate with people is to put yourself out there and be social and to do unique things that will draw in people's attention. And I'm not doing it only for attention. I'm doing it because I love to do it. Um, but I also love people, and I love the idea of uh, having somebody walk by me, this foreigner with the bald head and playing this instrument that is also very strange and Asian, and uh, connecting with people on a moment-by-moment on -moment basis. And I think that the Arhu will help that and also help me inside uh, do something that will be fulfilling for myself. Other things that are a lot of weight are laptops and hard drives. I don't have the ability to take all my hard drives uh, and leave them at, at a house and then say, okay, I'm going to go home every six months and unload all my data and then you know carry uh, whatever I can on the road and then unload my data and then do, do it like that because I want to develop videos and content on the road while I am traveling and I don't intend to return to those you know home base to to do the editing. I'm doing that all while I'm in tour, in route. 
And that requires you to carry everything with you that you need, from hard drives to cables to laptops, audio recorders like the one I'm talking into right now, and uh, and, and the entire trike kit and uh, spares for little miscellaneous items and and clothing and things as I'm going to be riding through multiple different types as I'm going to be riding through many different types of temperatures and climates and zones I got to carry uh, enough gear to allow myself to live this kind of lifestyle on the road so it really racks up in a future episode I think uh, I will go through the exact style and type of gear that I'm carrying so that you guys can get an idea and uh, critique and yell at me and say, that's <laughs> that's stupid, Matt. And I've heard that quite a bit. You're going to wreck your knees, Matt. Uh, this is too much weight, Matt. Well, you know what? Life is about taking chances and uh, refining along the way. Obviously, I understand and appreciate all the opinions that have come my way, and there'd be no way for me to do what I've done without taking people's advice into uh, into play here, but uh, I also have learned that uh, everybody's journey is individual, like I said, and those of you that like to travel a little faster and lighter, do so, and those of you that travel slow and heavy, do so as well, and, and you can be happy both ways. It's about finding your specific um, uh, chemistry, road chemistry, and uh, this is mine. Um, this is the first, uh, of many podcasts. So before I start bringing in people on the road, before I have even gotten onto the road the second time, uh, I've got to let people know a little bit about me. So these few podcasts are going to be a little bit about who I am and, uh, and give you a depth, give you a, uh, and give you a, peek into who this guy is that is traveling around the world and why he's doing it. Now, I feel that uh, to travel around the world, you have to be inspired. You have to have some sort of drive. Some people just go to do it. But when they say they go just to do it, there's also an inspiration there, whether it's I've been sedentary too long, I don't like my job, I'm ready for a new life. All of these things are inspirations that cater to the desire to travel. Um, my inspiration uh, has come in three parts. Uh, the first part of the inspiration to travel uh, oh, you know what? Wait, wait, wait. Let me go back and tell you who I was. When I moved to China, I was moving here for my business. I had a uh, I had a project that went extremely sour while I was living in Las Vegas. Before I moved to uh, to China, I lived in Las Vegas for five years. Uh, before that, I lived on a yacht in the Caribbean for a year. And before that, I lived in my hometown of Detroit, Michigan. When uh, I was in my f- like fifth year in Las Vegas, trying to grow this business of creating products for companies... Uh, in particular, the casinos, I had uh, involved myself with a inventor. Uh, I am an inventor myself. I like to create things and create ideas and help people along with their ideas as well. So I had connections in China to get things made. And so I affiliated myself with people that were uh, doing that as well. One of them was a guy named Rodney. 
Rodney uh, is a sweetheart. He's a really, really good down-home Alabama kind of guy that loves his family and has a heart of gold. And uh, he was making this product in the States, and he wasn't able to do it to the ability to make it financially successful for him to make profit and for his family. He was trying to do it all in the States. And I'm not trying to take jobs away from America, but I am trying to make it uh, feasible for people starting out in business to do business. And sometimes the only way to do that is to make your product as good as they can and as high a quality as you can um, and as cheap as you can. Uh, you can't compete with some of these big companies that have huge their own huge factories in the states by making it through contractors in the states because it's just not profitable. So I approached him and uh, I started doing business with him, and we were doing a project. Uh, his first big order, twenty five thousand units of this this product that he had made, and I was making it through my sources in China. He said, "Hey, Matt." I would like to uh, I would like to go to China to see the production. Uh, things should be just about wrapping up, and he really wanted to see and get his hands on the first set of stuff that was coming out of uh, out of China. So we both bought tickets, and I had been doing business in China, but I had been doing business in China at that point pretty naive. I was not putting my feet on the ground. I was depending on my liaisons in China to do the stuff under my guidance. And when we both got to China, it's an interesting story. Rodney and I uh, arrived in Ningbo together, and uh, we drove to the first factory. Uh, There was a few components that went into making his product, and each component was made at a different factory. The factory in question was making this EVA foam component. And China, that was five years ago, five years ago more than five years ago. Uh, and China has changed a lot. China's growing every day. If you were here, you'd, um, your perception of what you think China is and what China is right now is vastly different. It's a very modern society. But six years ago, when I came with Rodney, it was still uh, developing. Uh, and factories were found in, in different places everywhere. And me and Rodney, we took a ride out uh, with my liaison, uh, who had been managing the project for me here. And she said, okay, we're, we'll go to the first factory. So we went to the first factory, and we drove in this little car, a little uh, Volkswagen, dirty Volkswagen, out to the countryside of Ningbo on the outskirts of town. Uh, Rodney, first response with Rodney was traffic. I mean, driving in China is, is, a, is an experience in, your, in, in itself. Uh, people don't obey rules. It's a very uh, keep your eyes open, forward, and don't worry about what happens behind you. Just work ahead of yourself because the people behind you are only looking forward and the people behind them are only looking forward. And somehow, in a strange way, it all works together. So we're zigzagging around the, these, these Chinese streets, the e-bikes and buses and cars and people all integrating into this mess that tends to work in an odd way. And, and uh, it's funny, the, uh, the oh shit rail on your car uh, that, that normally you would hang clothes from in the States. You don't really use it so much. That kind of, uh, top, top, uh, top holder. Well, it gets used in China by newbies. And, uh, Rodney was grabbing this thing like, you know, for, for his life, he was holding on because the car was zigzagging around and, oh, 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 you know, constantly freaking out. Well, 
uh, we're, we're winding through this road and, and it's getting kind of to the outskirts of town. And we turn down this, this sec- secondary road and we s- turn down this tertiary road. And the tertiary road was, it was, uh, I'm not going to lie, it was in the middle of a landfill. Uh, it was third worldish at, at best. And as we rode down this thing, garbage piles, uh, mountains of garbage were to the left and the right, and buildings became sparse. And it was more of these monoliths of garbage, as opposed to, as opposed to uh, any buildings or structures or even industrial areas. It was just garbage, and people living in the garbage. There were these little little piles of garbage with uh, plastic tarps uh, stretched over them with kids playing and uh, people walking around trying to clean clothes. And it was very odd and surreal. And I look at my customer and uh, and he's just kind of in awe. And I'm looking at my liaison dis- slightly disdainfully and apprehensively like, is it going to get better than this? better get better than this because I'm trying to impress my customer. I don't know where you're taking me. Well, we arrived at the destination uh, shortly thereafter. It was a st- uh, concrete building, uh, no flare or anything. Half of it had been taken down as this whole area was kind of turning into a landfill and uh, like broken brick on one side as as they were you know, demolishing these these structures to make way for this landfill. I, I, I have no idea. But uh, open windows on the top without glass, and on the bottom there was a door. And I get out, and I, I look at Rodney, and I say, uh, it's not all like this. This is, you know, this is China. It's growing. I'm trying to explain to him and trying to make him feel a little bit more comfortable. But in my own heart of hearts, I'm getting extremely worried and uncomfortable, too, you know, so... Uh, I look at Vera. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? I'm lipping, lip, lip, uh, lip speaking to her. So we open the door, we go in and there are machines punching out EVA components. EVA is a foam that comes in large, flat, like two inch thick sheets, depending on how thick your product is. And then you can heat or cold press inside of a mold. And, and they're basically the first process is that they're chopped out like a cookie cutter into the basic shape. And then they're taken to another machine that heat presses these things under pressure. And then the foam molds to the size that you need. And then there's a a trimming process where you take that out of that mold and then trim it. Basically, all these machines were set out in this dirty area of the, this building. And, uh, all these guys working the machines were elderly Chinese, probably lived in the landfill that were looking for work, uh, through through the uh, through this wherever they could, and then they got it at the factory. They're all smoking cigarettes, and smoking cigarette Chinese, you know, like dirty teeth. The cigarettes hanging off the lip, barely hanging in the mouth, and they're you know punching out these things, and they're just going through the motions. Uh, when all the goods were finished, they were stored in these boxes, separated by foam. It did not look uh, inviting at all. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was. It was it, when I stepped in there, my stomach took a dive. As a matter of fact, telling this story, I, I get in the same mode of feeling at that moment. I, I feel a little disgraced. And uh, we walked in, and Rodney looks around, 
And the first thing he tries to do is find something that he can cling on to that says, okay, this is good. So he goes over to uh, the workshop table where the final units were laid out on a table and in disarray. And he takes it and he picks it up and he looks at it. He squeezes it. This is a customer that knows what he wants. He knows what he's doing. He's an inventor. Inventors are particular beyond uh, the, the extreme because they know what they want because th- their, their idea of the product is, is what their passion is. And uh, he looks at it and he kind of tosses it to the side, pulls up another, and then he rips the foam in half to see the consistency on the inside. And then he p- picks up another, rips it, throws the other one, and he's just kind of going through this thing. His face is slightly turning red and... He's looking around and he's he's trying to grasp onto any sort of positivity because the samples that I had been sent in the States were like the best of the best uh, by the factory. They'd said, okay, yeah, we're doing good. This is what the product looks like. Do you want us to go to production? I looked at the products and said, okay, yeah, yeah, that's what I want. Okay, go to production. But I hadn't had my feet on the ground here. I didn't see what was happening. All I had were these samples and when we were on the ground, the the ones that were good and the and the ones that were bad were so uh, skewed. For example, like out of fifty, couple were good, and uh, Rodney was just eh, he was beside himself, and so was I. He was so uh, frustrated and not knowing what to do that he picked up a broom and he started sweeping and cleaning the factory and. It, I didn't know what to do. I was freaking out. So I grabbed a broom and I was just trying to comfort the guy. Uh, and we both were basically sweeping up this, this disaster. And uh, he says, he says, Matt, these, none of these are good. And I looked at him. I says, I know. I'm, I don't know what to say. He's like, let's, let's organize. So he started like building little nooks and crannies. You know, Ronnie's an American. American style of production is a little bit different than uh, China for some for some places. And he was interested. He's like, let's clean up this operation. So we started moving stuff around and he was looking at all of his product, the finished product. And he looks at me. He's like, I'm throwing it out. So he takes this box. Now, we had almost been finished with production. We had like over 10,000, maybe 15,000 units finished. He takes this box of goods, goes to the outside landfill, and upends this box of foam. Then he goes inside, takes another box, upends it outside. This is a disaster for me because this is just sad. So I looked at him in the eyes and Okay, this this is this is what's happening. So I go and I start grabbing boxes and I upend them outside. This is all making him feel better. It's cleaning the slate for him to kind of make a decision about what to do next. I look at my uh, liaison. Her name was Vera, and I tell her I didn't tell her anything. I just looked at her and she understood. And she took her hands around a box and walked it out as well. And we just started upending these boxes, and it was really funny because the owner of the factory who was this younger guy uh was just awestruck looking at us and as we're upending these boxes of his idea good products until we formed this small mountain uh behind the fact in front of the factory outside the front door which was basically all landfill and this pile stood about five six feet off the ground and it was just all these products these products that i had 
contracted off and that my customer was depending on to, you know, help him with his company. Um, he, <laughs> he looked at me and I looked at him and we looked at the factory owner and I knew right there that I couldn't continue my business this way. And he, he actually, he asked for a picture. He was going to send it to his investors. And it said, uh, I think the, he wrote it on a big piece of paper. It said, I'm sorry. And he made me take a picture of himself standing in front of this pile of foam uh, that he couldn't bring back to the States. It was, it was really worthless. And uh, I had to take this picture. And he was broken. I was broken. And we were all really frustrated. Uh, funny thing was, all the kids from all of the landfill area kind of ran up and they saw this fresh foam and all these weird shapes and they came out and they started playing with it. And And Rodney was sweet. He actually took a sample of one of his products, uh, which was a safety mask for kids that play softball. And he, he walked over to one of the kids and he gave it to him and the kids were all excited. It was kind of like a toy a costume style item for them. They didn't know what softball was. So they, you know, ran off excited. And Rodney looks at me with this look of despair. And I told him, I said, Rodney, I'm going to make this up to you. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. Uh, and one thing about me is, is everything I try and do, I try and do with integrity. And I, even if I have to take a loss, it's, it's about doing the right thing. And, uh, after that moment, we went and saw the other factories. There was, like I said, like four or five different components with four or five different factories involved. The other factories were doing a decent job. We had to tweak a little bit, but there was no, nothing like that foam factory. We went back to the States and, uh, on the plane, I was talking to Rodney and he was going back to Alabama. I was going back to Las Vegas. And I said, uh, whatever it takes, I'm going to do this for you. Um, and so what I did is I, I paid for the product to be made in, uh, in the States. You know, I, uh, I helped him to get the product made the right way, and I lost a lot of money in the process. I, I got burned on the factory in China, and I, I actually flew to his apartment or to his house. I flew to his house and lived in his basement on his couch for like two or three weeks uh, assembling the product because he couldn't assemble it in China because China wasn't making all the components good. And so he had to do the finishing assembly here in the States. And so I moved in with him. I assembled his goods. I, uh, I did whatever I could to make it right. After this moment, I sat down in my house in Vegas and said, uh, you know, can I, can I continue this way? Can I continue living in China while trying to do, or living in this, uh, the States while trying to do business in China? And the answer was no. It was impossible. I had to pick up and move to China. So when, uh, that's a long story short, right? When I moved to China, it was to get a grasp on my business. I was motivated by money. I was motivated by success. And I was motivated by uh, business. Um, but we get back to inspiration. What inspired me to change my, um, change my ways? Well, I'm not sure on the order of these three stories, but... Uh, I think that the first one was Alex. I had known uh, a French uh, guy. Uh, 
in in Ningbo and his wife, and I became very close friends with them. Uh, I ended up visiting them in Shanghai once at a party, and I sat down at a table, and a guy named Alex was at the table eating with us, and uh, there was somewhere in the in the dinner where the topic of cycling came up, uh, bicycling, and uh, this guy Alex uh, was asked by my f- French friends. Hey, so how is that book going about your tour? And he said, "Oh, it's going well. You know, it's uh, it's going well." And I, and I so I interjected, "What are you talking about? What will you do? You did a cycle trip or something?" He says, "Yeah, yeah. Me and my friend a couple of years ago, we cycled from Australia all the way to France. We went through like I think it was eighteen plus or eighteen months and twenty plus countries, and he they did it all on bicycles. And it's funny when you first." see or ex- or exposed to somebody that does something uh in your mind amazing uh you know we always watch tv we see the discovery channel we're exposed to people that do amazing things all the time as spectators but when you are sitting in front of somebody that has done a large tour or does something that is truly unique you i remember i i was like wow how did you do that? You know, well, I bought bicycles and me and my friend, we wanted to get back to France and we wanted to do it creatively. So we went from Southeast Asia all the way up to France. Oh, oh, you must be a bicyclist was my first uh, response. Oh, you must, you must really enjoy bicycling. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. We'd never bicycled before. We just thought it was a good mode of transportation and it was kind of fun. Wow. To me, that was, that was really... Um, Unbelievable that you would have no experience in cycling and then you would try to attempt something like this. In my mind, you know, you, you put these people into a different uh, arena. When you, when you look and you see Bear Grylls, oh, this guy has military experience outdoors, uh, obviously. A survivor man, Les Stroud, you know, oh, this guy has all this experience. And, and you, f- you forget to understand that everybody starts somewhere. You forget to understand that 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 adventurer, that, that guy that pushes the limits, he started from somewhere normal. He didn't just instantly become this extreme uh, sports star or extreme traveler. They, they all start somewhere. And that was, that was the dual inspiration I learned at that moment. Talking with the Alex and learning about his tour and listening to his stories on the road enlightened me to the to the idea that you don't have to be special inherently to travel and do special things. You can do it without having to, you know, have all that experience. It just takes taking the first step. It was really enlightening. And the other uh, inspiration came in, in the idea of cycling without having the uh, experience behind it. Like I, I'm not a big bicyclist. Before I really envisioned this tour around the world, I didn't think about cycling at all. It was uh, something I did as a kid. Maybe, you know, I hadn't like you know, my Schwinn, but it was definitely not something that I was into, really. But seeing these guys, I was like, well, if I did ever want to travel, if I did ever want to get on a bike, there would be nothing to stop me because nothing stopped these guys. You know, uh, they didn't have to have all this experience to have this amazing adventure. And they just picked a a bicycle and and left. 
Um, so that kind of planted a seed in my head. I thought, wow, you know, I could do it. I could definitely uh, pick up a bike and ride, uh, even if I didn't have that much experience in cycling. Now, the second a story of inspiration uh, that, that attributed to the uh, Jaya World Tour that I created uh, happened in Thailand. I was in a, at a, uh, an island called Kopangan. I was traveling by myself doing uh, backpacking, and uh, I was sitting on a beach in Kopangan. Kopangan is a super uh, notable island. It's uh, the site of a, probably one of the largest rave parties in the world. It's called the uh, Full Moon Party. And every full moon, people get together and basically go insane. And uh, I'm sitting on this beach. I think it was the the night before or the day before the party, the big uh, full moon party. And I'm sitting there sunning and these two guys walk by. One guy is walking backwards and he's got one of these shoulder mounted, you know, shoulder cameras, professional cameras. And he's walking backwards, trying to maintain his balance while he's filming his friend who's walking forwards uh, along the beach. And he's basically, I don't remember the exact line, but, Hi, my name's so-and-so. I'm on the beach here in Copangan, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the jazz music that happens on the beach here. And then his voice trails away. And I'm like, what was that? That was very interesting. And it, uh, as a business owner, I looked at it like, these guys are doing something. They've organized something, an idea. They have an idea. And they're implementing this idea. And I had to talk to them more. So I, I, after they were done filming, I, uh, I pulled them aside and I said, Hey, guys, my name's Matt. What are you guys doing? And uh, he says, Well, we're making uh, video documentaries. Video documentaries. This is so strange, you know, like the idea of making uh, just off-the-cuff video documentaries. I says, What is it about? Well, it's about jazz and in different places, parts of the world. And then I looked at the guy's shirt. It was full of logos, it was kind of like a NASCAR shirt. It had Air Asia on it and some different logos from some different companies. And I says, you know, how did you start this? Do you mind if I pick your brain? And he says, okay, yeah, yeah. He was a teacher, and so was the cameraman, uh, teachers in uh, the States. And they were kind of not bored, but tired of living life uh, nine to five. And uh, they said, hey, why don't we take a vacation? So they took a vacation and they went to someplace in Southeast Asia, I think, and they recorded it. And they really liked jazz. So they made jazz a focal point of their trip. And so they were talking about how jazz is interpreted in that area and whatnot. And so they made, they went back home, they had some video experience, they made this video. Um, apparently it, it, piqued the interest of some companies out there. One of them was Air Asia. They said, hey, if you continue to make these videos, we'll give you some money and we'll ha- help you with the traveling. We'll pay you for your traveling costs. And suddenly these guys had turned this, um, idea, this just fun project into a business model. And they were traveling around and their uh, video series was under their company name, which was Board of Directives. Like, are you bored of directives? Then you should travel. Like it was kind of a play on words and it was very interesting. And these guys were living a lifestyle of travel. They were living a lifestyle that most people could only do when they have a weekend or a vacation period or, you know, holiday. 
And why do we go on holidays? Because we want to do the things that we want to do besides working, which is normally something we don't want to do. But these guys were doing what they wanted to do via the holiday activity. Like they were living a holiday. They were making a holiday their career path. That was the inspiration earned at that moment. It was kind of like thinking, wow, you can do what you want to do with your life and make it profitable. You can make it work. These guys made it work, and I'm no different from them, so I could do it too. It was kind of like an amazing seed that, again, I got to put in my pocket. I've, I've learned so far that I can cycle if I want to. I don't have to have you know, this vast experience in order to do these kind of activities. Uh, and I uh, can even leverage it into a way to make money. And I could, if I wanted to, just like these guys did, create something, whether it's video or blogging or podcast, or I had no idea what it was, but the seed was planted. It was an idea that you can do what you want to do with your life and make it work from a lifestyle standpoint. Uh, which was what I was inspired by. That was my inspiration at that point. Now, the third and most, and and I would say most critical, but uh, the third inspiration that came to me was the meeting of uh, Ryan Freeman, who I talked about later, earlier in the last podcast. Ryan was one of my best friends in Ningbo, one of my best friends now. And uh, he was the kind of guy that just up and, traveled. I met him at a party here in uh, Ningbo. He's been my friend for about five years now. And his take on life was not business motivated. It was not what I was at the time. It was based on doing what you want to do, not doing what you have to do. You know, we would sit down and he'd be like, hey, well, let's go for a trip. Let's go travel. Let's do something. And I'd say, well, you know, I got work and yes, forget that. What's most important is, is being happy and doing what you want to do. And so he would and I would do these trips off the cuff with very little money and very little regard for what I we had, you know, doing a schedule. So so we would just go and do. And uh, it was it was really beautiful because it inspired me to the idea that you don't have to be rich. You don't have to go out with this set plan and you don't have to do it the, the, um, the route where you overthink things too much. And so having inspiration in your life is extremely important. You have to have that inspiration because that's what feeds the tour or the trip or the adventure or whatever dream you might have. You have to have those inspirations involved that you draw from. So now I had this inspired uh, idea that I can travel in any form I want, cycling or you know motorcycle or walking or hitchhiking or whatever. You can do it. You don't have to have that prior experience. You can just do it. There's always a starting point. There's the idea that you don't need uh that 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 you can go uh and and turn an adventure into a lifestyle you can turn your dream life into something that can provide for you in the future it don't doesn't have to be like i go on vacation for two weeks and then i spend the next uh, six months trying to figure out how to afford the next two week vacation you can actually make the vacation pay for itself it's not 
easy, but it's not impossible. And uh, those were the inspirations that uh, combined with Ryan's idea that you don't necessarily have to have a plan in place. It can kind of flesh itself out. And oftentimes the most amazing experiences that you have are the uh, experiences that come at you from left field that you could never even plan or pay for. Those three inspirations kind of made me feel like, wow, I should do something because I hadn't really gotten out in the world. I had just, you know, I had moved to China. That was my big move. But I was like, China's such a small piece of this huge puzzle. I've got to get out more. And I fell in love with travel so much. Oh, well, I got to travel. So where am I going to go? Well, I think I go everywhere. What am I going to do? Shit. I, I can do anything. What, what were those things that you ever wanted to do in your life? So I built a list of things that I really wanted to accomplish. One of them's to stand on top of the world and top of Mount Everest. And I've been preparing for that. So I'm going to be climbing Mount Everest in March, among a million other things. And I'll get into the actual items on the road in a future podcast. I don't want this one to go too long. It's already gone 45 minutes. But I think in order to understand how people uh, travel and why people travel, you have to understand what inspires them. And you need to in- understand what inspires you. You know, you may not be as impressed with video and travel and these things as me. You might be impressed or or influenced by different things. So you got to find those things within yourself to inspire you to do those amazing things. And you got to believe that you can do it. You know, uh, that was really important because seeing that Alex uh, doing that trip, he believed that he could do it. He, he didn't him and his friend traveled from Australia all the way to France because they they thought, yeah, yeah, we can do this. So I, I, this will be the first title of my first podcast, Inspiration, and the importance of inspiration in life. And um, so there you go. I hope that wasn't uh, too boring. Um, I'm trying to make these first few podcasts uh, sort of building blocks so that as you get through these first few, you can understand who I am and why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, maybe in the next podcast, I'll get into more of the details of of what the trip is with the locations and the path that I'm deciding to take. Um, uh, uh, at the end of every podcast, I'll kind of give you an update of what is going on real time, what's going on right now. Um, as As I sit here in my office in Ningbo, I am trying to formulate the next video that will be a comprehensive update about uh, the tour. You can see my other video travelogues at jayo.com or on my podcast or on my YouTube channel. I'll leave links here at the bottom of the podcast if you're interested and you don't know who I am yet. You can learn a lot about that. The um, things that are going on right now, I should be on the road uh, traveling. Uh, unfortunately, I'm still stuck here in Ningbo. I'm waiting for my friend Ryan Freeman. He's going to be flying here to Ningbo. We'll wait a couple of days and then we'll ride south uh, as opposed to going through uh, Korea and Japan. It's getting too late in the season, so I had to drop those two countries. So I'm waiting for Ryan. I'm uh, saying goodbye to my friends and in, in, uh, in relationships here and trying to let go which is very difficult. Maybe a future podcast will be talking about letting go (laughs) because that's an interesting element to the tour. 
and uh, I'm installing a, a front schlumpf drive on the trike uh, to replace my old one, which was not powerful enough to pull the uh, massive amount of weight that I have as I'm touring. So uh, this is what I'm doing right now. You can uh, subscribe to my podcast so that you can hear more updates about my trip and uh, the elements involved in travel. But on uh, the future podcast, when I get on the road, when Ryan joins me, these podcasts are going to become a lot more vivid and they're going to have elements of interviews with people on the road, uh, the feelings of Ryan, my travel partner, and uh, a little bit more uh, flavor of the locations that I go to as I travel. So stick with me and uh, enjoy and become part of the Jio Nation. And uh, maybe you can become inspired yourself to do something amazing. And I hope that uh, this first podcast kind of gave you a little bit of an idea that it is possible to become inspired. It is possible to do something amazing. You just have to understand you know, where your inspirations derive from to create the a dream lifestyle that you want and to make it your own. Anyways, if you want to do it, just go out there and take that first step and uh, jayo.